Shall we turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Uh, returning to our series in 1 Corinthians, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 2, 5 this evening. As you find your way there, let me just pray for us as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you again for your word that you declare to be flawless, that you declare to be all about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let our hearts and our focus be centered on him this night, that you might equip us to tell others about him. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 1, reading from verse... 18. Let me read from verse 17, actually. Uh, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has, God not made, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God stronger than man's strength brothers think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards not many of you were influential not many were of noble birth but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. This is God's word. 
Nobody likes to look foolish, do they? Do you like looking foolish? Do you like feeling embarrassed? Red face, feeling stupid? No? I don't think anyone really likes to feel foolish. We like to be well thought of, don't we? We like to be thought of as being bright, knowledgeable, wise, successful. I want to know whether which one of these is true of you. Think about the last time you felt embarrassed. The reason your face went red, the reason the pit of your stomach felt like it had hit the floor, was because you don't like looking foolish and you want people to think well of you. Uh, I would hazard a guess, but I think that's how Mr. Osborne felt the other day. Uh, can you imagine that? Mr. Osborne sitting there pretty in first class, the conductor coming into the cabin, tickets please. And for Mr. Osborne to hear the conductor say, sir, this is a standard ticket, but you're in first class. Uh, he must have been pretty embarrassed about that, especially given the tweet that was going around on Twitter. Ticket inspector on my train just got a high five. George Osborne tried to sit in first class with a standard ticket. Inspector said no. Brilliant. Love it. Love it. This desire to avoid foolishness and this desire to be well thought of affects how we think, how we respond in relationships, uh, what we say. It affects us in every single way in our lives, actually, even in our Christian lives. We like to be well thought of, but we know there are people out there who will think that we are foolish and stupid, ridiculous for believing what we believe about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the German philosopher Nietzsche really captures the mindset of many people in our city, many people that we come into contact with, when he directed the mockery of Christianity at two things. First, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and second, the church. He says, look at whom they worship. Look at this God whom they worship. How foolish and imbecilic to follow one who died and then to claim that that death is victory. There is foolishness and there is foolishness, Nietzsche argued. There is madness and there is madness. But to call this death victory is the ultimate madness of all. This is a pathetic deity and he is followed by a pathetic people. That captures how many people think about the cross and about the people of the cross, the church. And it's, almost, it's, it's the fear of that kind of response, I think, that affects how we talk about our faith. It affects whether we talk about our faith. Again, in not looking to, wanting to look foolish, we might not hide everything that we are as Christians, but we might not necessarily talk an awful lot about Christ crucified. We might not talk very often about actually the very core thing that we love and treasure most of all about our Lord Jesus Christ, that he came and died on the cross because we were unable to save ourselves. And to draw us from that pit of helplessness and to give us forgiveness and grace and mercy. No, I think sometimes that when we're in conversations with people, I see it in my own life as well, we are more likely to boast in the things that might make us seem more acceptable to the people So, in our city. So we might talk about the things that make us look apparently quite successful. 
Oh, we have 100 kids in our Sunday school. Oh, we had 3,000 people through the door at a recent two-week event. Yeah, over the course of about three weeks, we just managed to raise 1.3 million for, to move our large congregation to a, a new building. Uh, what fills your conversation more? Do we boast in the things that, that, are, that we should be thankful to God for? Yes. But do we boast in them more than we boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? I feel the weight of this. We fear what worldly wisdom has to say. This is a significant issue for the church in Corinth. Corinth, like Oxford or Cambridge in many ways, it was a gathering place for the deep thinkers, the intelligentsia, the clever philosophers, and it was a place to hear some top quality public speaking, skilled auditors and rhetoricians would wow crowds with their presentation skills. It was largely for them about uh, form and presentation rather than content. And again, like it is for us, the message of the gospel seemed crazy to the people in their city. So as a result, they too started to try and focus on the things that made them look more appealing to the world. To focus on, oh, let's, let's focus on the knowledge that they talk about an awful lot in 1 Corinthians. Or let's talk about gifts, let's talk about these outstanding preachers that have emerged. Worrying people with their rhetoric. But again, they're boasting in the wrong thing. They're talking about the wrong things. And what's happening is the cross, which is meant to be at the center of their lives, the center of their church, is being moved further and further away towards the periphery. Almost to the point, I would argue, that it's really hardly been talked about at all. It's a little bit too weak. It looks a little bit, it feels a little bit shameful. No, let's talk about the ways in which we can connect with our people. So Paul's indictment on them, your thinking is worldly. And 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 2, 5, is his attempt to get this gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, this cross, and get it right back in the very center of their lives and in the very center of this church. So here's two things that we're going to look at tonight. Two main points. First of all, God humbles the wisdom of the world through the weakness of the cross. And two, God saves people out of the world through the preaching of the cross. Look with me at verse 18. As we look at point one, God humbles the wisdom of the world through the weakness of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That word is moroni. It is basically the word from which we get the word moronic. Uh, the message of the cross is moronic to people who love the world and who do not have any kind of category for a crucified messiah. Uh, according to the wisdom of man, and man thinks he is bright. We, we is try and boast in ourselves and think that we are wonderful in so many different ways. And people who, who are focused on themselves, who are self-centered rather than cross-centered, have a tendency to boast in themselves and never really be impressed by the message of the cross. You see, we live in a secular age which says... If you want to launch an idea, if you want to obtain a following for some kind of uh, cause, grab an A-lister and go after the affections of people. People like to know that you're powerful, so, so focus on the power thing. They, they love powerful people. 
Like the Jews that are talked about in verse 23, they would have followed a Messiah who showed himself to be powerful, to show, them, to show himself to be mightier than the oppressors, like the Romans who were uh, occupying their nation at this time. Why do you think they kept on asking Jesus, asking Jesus, show, show us some signs, show us some signs. If you show me you are powerful and mighty, I'll believe in you. They didn't have a category for weakness. And to understand the real power that would be found through crucifixion. Or people like to know you're wise and clever. That's like the Greeks. They were lovers of logic. Give me something clever to chew on. Let me analyze it intellectually. If the argument is consistent, then sure, I'll believe it. Well, in their wisdom, they think that they can figure it out all on their own. But they will not arrive at the gospel. Why? Because... We were never made to be dependent upon our wisdom and upon our logic for knowing God. We were made to be dependent upon his revelation, on what he reveals to us. The cross then is dismissed as crazy. It doesn't look powerful. It doesn't look wise or clever. It looks stupid. Even archaeologists have found some second century graffiti in Rome where there is a picture of a figure crucified on a cross painted with the head of a donkey and next to it the graffiti reads Alexamenos worships his God. It's clearly written in mockery. Worldly wisdom says this cross thing that you keep talking about it is a joke, it's moronic, it's foolishness but by their rejection of the cross Paul reminds them they will perish. They will perish. Catherine and I returned from holiday a few years back. One day I walked into our flat and we were just pretty much floored by the smell. My flat is not normally smelly, I would like to add. Oh, we had left. We had decided to... Catherine had decided, let's blame Catherine. She had decided to turn the fridge freezer off and we thought we had emptied it. And we had emptied it, apart from the joint of beef that was now kind of blue and furry. Uh, why? It was perishing. It was perishing. It was decaying. It's death. And that is what is, it's like for those who consider the cross to be moronic and foolish. I wonder if that what you think of that if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Uh, I'm reading what verse 18 says. But I wonder if you've grasped the significance and I really hope that you'll listen to the rest of this sermon to recognize what Christ has really done about that decay and about that perishing. So the Christians in Corinth look like they're moving away from a cross-centered perspective. Paul reminds them, you're moving closer and closer, actually, to those who are considered by God to be perishing. And Paul's saying, for the church of God, that is not a good thing, to be looking more and more like people who do not have God. So what does Paul do to recalibrate their thinking? He just, he hits them with it. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, verse 18. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. He reminds them quite simply. No, the cross is not weakness. The cross is foolishness to those 
who are perishing, but to us it truly is the power of God. And Paul does more than that. Paul exposes the wisdom of man for all its foolishness. Because according to the plan of God, the wisdom of man is humbled. This is what you see in verses 19 and following. Uh, where God says, for it is written, referring to the Old Testament, I will, which we read from earlier, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. So it's been God's plan to make sure that people will not come to know him through clever logic, through their own reasoning. It's his plan. And sometimes hard for us to hear. In, in this very sophisticated age. Our, our field of knowledge is growing in many ways. Uh, historians are discovering more and more about the past. Scientists are discovering more and more about all sorts of things, including Mars, the universe. Doctors discovering more and more about the human body. Uh, we have master's degrees, PhDs, professors of this and that. And we are proud in what man has come to know and develop. To the point that we even look back, don't we, on what humanity was like 500 years ago, 300 years ago, 100 years ago, and just think, oh, it was so primitive. How did they ever cope without iPads and you know, cars? And they must have been really stupid people. But that's not true. God's plan is to frustrate man's wisdom, destroy it, obliterate it, and show it for what it is. For these scientists to, to send a jeep to Mars, to pick up a rock, siphon through a little bit of dust, and then to boast and say, aren't we great? Really? Well, well done. I mean, I mean great. Like launching something into space. That's clever. I couldn't do that. Uh, landing something on a planet, I definitely couldn't do that. Uh, but really, is it wisdom to gather dust from another planet and to boast in self rather than boast in the one who made it? Verses 19 to 21 tell us that God decided in his wisdom that human wisdom would not be the path to knowing God. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Why though? That should be the question we're asking. Why? Well, the answer is quite simple, simple really. Human wisdom nullifies the need for a cross. If we think we can make it our own way, if we think we can figure it out on our, of our own backs, we don't need a cross. But God's wisdom magnifies the meaning of the cross. What's more, man is offended by the cross and what it stands for, the ungodliness of humankind, the justice of God on undeserving sinners. Our need for a saviour who seems so weak. It makes human beings look little and helpless, almost like little children. It makes us look like we're not wise and we don't like to feel like that. We don't like to feel foolish but this see it for what it is friends is God's gracious plan to humble us so that we do not miss God's salvation by making much of ourselves but that we grasp it by making much of Christ 
and his cross. Where does the wise man, Paul says in verse 20, do you see that? Where are those with their well-articulated worldviews? Those who have figured it out how we got here and what life is all about. Where are those guys with, with brains the size of planets? You're Stephen Hawking's. I mean, that guy's IQ reads like a line of lottery numbers, doesn't it? But he's nowhere near figuring out how God made the earth and why. Where's the scholar? The word in here actually is grammatius, which is more to do with a scribe, so someone from among the Jewish people, well-versed in the law of God, able to quote it and teach it to others, thinking that they've figured it all out, but no. People can read the Bible and still think the cross is foolishness. Paul says in verse 20, they've all been left to look rather silly, like dunces in a corner of a class. Why? Because according to the wisdom of God, Christ is wisdom. Christ is power. See what Paul's doing? He's drawing that cross right back into the center and he is helping them, straightening out their thinking to put Christ at the center. And Paul tells us quite plainly, this was God's plan. And this was God's pleasure. Verse 21, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Therefore, Paul can say in verse 23 that no matter what people look for, we preach Christ crucified. That's what we declare. That's what we should declare as a church. And I'm not talking about just from pulpits. I'm talking about as a church, when we are still the church, when we go to our different places, that's what we preach. We preach Christ crucified. That's what we declare. And verse 24 gives us this great news that those who are being saved even includes the Jews, the Greeks. So those, those who are looking for power, those who are looking for wisdom and cleverness, well, they can be saved. It's not that they're entirely omitted. It's just that they're not going to get to God through their own wisdom. No, what is required is humility. What is required is God actually taking the initiative with them. How are they saved? Verse 24 tells us. Look with me. To those whom God called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. It's as if Paul says, look at those who accept it. He even encourages them at this point to look around and say, okay, if, you're, if you really are tempted to think that we need to almost inflate ourselves to a level of wisdom or to a level of power to reach those in our city, so leaving behind this cross thing. Should we do that? What Paul says, look at those who accept this cross. In verse 26, he almost says the evidence of the fact that God has humbled the wisdom of the world is found as you look around yourselves. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise or influential or noble. He's 
humbly, I think, asking them to consider their intelligence, their influence, their class. They weren't from the intelligentsia of Corinth. They weren't the movers and shakers. They weren't the kind of people that were being contacted by the newspapers to ask for a quote on some kind of story or something like that. The congregation in Corinth was bog standard. Take a look around. We're all bog standard. I should say it's not impossible, clearly, for those who are brainy, wealthy, or posh to be saved. Uh, It says not many. It doesn't say not any. But even this is part of God's plan to humble the wisdom of man. Look at verse 27 with me. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The weak things of the world to shame the strong. The lowly things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. So God is humbling the wisdom of the world through the message of the cross, but also through the people of the cross, you see. He's using us. Weak people who are really not movers and shakers in terms of our city. To humble the wisdom of the wise. The wisdom of the world. Because God didn't choose us just because we were special. He knows how weak and sinful we are, but he did choose us to make a point. God calls the church together and then calls the world to say, look at that, you think you have wisdom and power? You're nowhere near salvation, but look at the church. These are the ones who know and possess Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God and the power of God. So he's reminding them again and again, don't strive after this wisdom and power like you see in Corinth. That's what foolishness is. It's not It's not you. It's not the church. It's not the cross. It's not Christ that's foolishness. Actually, it's the other way around. Why does God choose to save people in this way? Why through the weakness of a cross? Why through the weakness of the people of the cross? It's quite plain to see that it's so that he doesn't want anyone to think that it's who they are or what they have done that they have salvation. It says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is because of him, verse 30, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. In other words, righteous, we are morally acceptable to God, not in and through ourselves and our own works, but Because Christ's righteousness has been transferred to our account. We are, uh, he is our sanctification because he has given us a spirit to change us into his likeness. We have redemption in him. We have escaped the wrath that is to come because he has bought us with his own blood. So God removes any grounds for man to boast in himself. There is no way that we can make much of ourselves at the foot of the cross. We cannot earn, we cannot win, we cannot make or create our own salvation. Whether through wisdom or through power or anything else, but only through Christ crucified. God's wisdom dictates that we do not therefore boast in ourselves, 
but that we boast in Christ. Do you see how he ties it in in verse, ties it all up in verse 31? Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, give him glory. Give him praise. The wisdom of the wise, the worldly wisdom is confounded. And the offer of salvation is extended and held out to people. Not to the elite, not to the intellectuals. You don't have to have an IQ over 140 in order to be saved. No, it's, he's given us a message, he has given us a gospel that's simple enough for my four-year-old to articulate and be saved. Christ is wisdom. Jesus is the power of God. So is it foolishness to speak about him? Or is it foolishness to hide him and boast in other things? So let's think this through. I think in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, Paul basically gives us the application for this sermon. Where he reminds us that God saves people out of the world through the preaching of the cross. So it's not something that we should shy away from. Whenever we have opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. When people ask us, what, what, did, what, what were you doing yesterday? Oh, I was at church. Yeah, there was about 600 people there. Oh, that's quite big. I thought the church was in decline. You can imagine the conversation would go. How about, well, even in your head, even if it sounds mildly or even strongly ridiculous, actually we recognized yesterday how we should stand in awe of God and how we should tell people about Christ crucified. People like you. Do you find yourself dodging those opportunities? I do. It's hard, isn't it? I find it with my family members. Oh, this might make it harder for me. It doesn't feel like exactly the right opportunity to start talking about Jesus Christ. Maybe it feels like I'm just diving in. But it happens in all sorts of ways. It happens to me in the barbers a lot. What do you do? I'm a teacher. You know how it goes, don't you? Or on the airplane, you're thinking, I just want to watch the X-Men. I don't want to, you know. Some, this was my experience last year going to a Christian conference. You know, sometimes you just sit there and you think, oh, I don't... I just want to relax and watch a film. I want to just have a wee nap or something like that. You know, I don't. What do you do? Yeah, I tell people about the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to hear about it? What do we do? What do we say? What do we fear? Are we fearing the right thing? Fearing man or fearing God? What help do we have? Well, we have help in the example of the Apostle Paul, don't we? In verses 1 to 5. Because if God is pleased to save people out of the world by the proclamation of Christ crucified, if he saves those who are proud of their strength or proud of their worldly wisdom through the gospel, then like Paul, we should resolve, decide, and commit to knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul recalls his own experience Again, countering this love for, for wisdom. 
and for showy presentation in Corinth. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. In other words, about Christ crucified, who is God. Paul recalling his own experience, tempted, I suppose, to contextualize, to adapt himself to the point of being able to speak well. I mean, let's face it, Paul was a bright guy. Paul could write things that were pretty incredible, that you could say, well, that's, that is quite a rhetorical device you have utilized in that section there, Paul. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but he didn't. He resolved to come. I know nothing but this plain and simple message of the cross. I think he did it intentionally in order to demonstrate what it says in verse 5, that faith, the faith of these believers, would rest not on man's wisdom. So it wasn't contingent on a person's cleverness as a teacher. It wasn't contingent on a person's performance as a preacher. But it was based entirely on the power of God working by his Holy Spirit. The academics thought it was nonsense. People thought your back's torn to shreds. Surely they were just thinking, what are you doing? But Paul intentionally, in order to magnify Christ crucified and demonstrate that salvation rests on him and nothing else resolved to do this. J.C. Ryle, who was once Bishop of Liverpool, um, if you've read any of his books, you'll see he is a phenomenal writer. Uh, you're hooked you know, you read a page and you need to stop and think on it for like three hours because it was just so deep. And at one point, he was preaching in that way. He was preaching like he would write. And it was, I'm sure, fantastic. But the reports are that it was going right over the heads of his people. So J.C. Ryle said, I thought it my plain duty to crucify my style. He resolved to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Though he was brilliant and clever, he crucified his style in order for people to see Christ. Would you resolve to do the same thing? Would you resolve to trust in the fact that it's not you, your presentation, your argument and debate that will convince a person to become a Christian, though God employs those things? I'm not denying that at all. But that's not what salvation relies on, is it? We want to be able to share the gospel. We train people in this church to share the gospel well with two ways to live. We run Christianity Explored courses and the like. But it rests on God's power. Would you resolve to rest upon that power? And would you resolve to preach Christ crucified? To talk about him with people that you come into contact with? But I feel weak, you might say. I'm worried about what people will think about me. I don't find it easy. You know, whenever I get that, asked that question in the barbers or on the airplane or at the bus stop or, or in the office, I just feel like, you know, I'm shaking. Well, take some heart, even from Paul's words. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Now, sure, that relates to Paul's fear of the Lord. 
and the task that was entrusted to him. But I think it's also mixed with the fear of what might happen. Let's, let's remember Paul has been beaten in many of these missionary journeys and in many of the cities he has visited. Who knows what awaits him? Even in Acts 18, which tells you about the time when Paul was actually in Corinth trying to share the gospel with people and plant the church there, he was in special need of God's voice. And God said to him, don't be afraid. So his fear is an issue. Don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. Keep on, keep on. And don't be surprised to hear that God's servants are weak. You might be surprised to know how weak the staff in this church are. Uh, We are. Often behind bold words, there is often a very, very weary person, a discouraged person, much like the rest of you. But isn't it great that even in our fear, even in our weakness, God works through the words that we share as we preach Christ crucified and call people to repent of their sin and trust in him. Despite Paul's fear and weakness, he will speak. Will we? I pray we will. My message and my preaching, he says, were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Faith rests not on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Do you believe, church, that the gospel, the message of the cross, Christ crucified is what brings salvation to people. Then I think we will resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. We will not deviate from it as a church or as individuals. We will not try to push it to the periphery where it does not belong. And then we are close to acting like those who are perishing. No, it must be central in our lives that we must resolve to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And if we do, then I pray we might just see 45,000 people in this city reached. We might just see the people in Christianity Explored that starts this week coming to faith. And pray that those who put their hope in the world's wisdom and the world's power might, in their humility, through God's work and through our proclamation of Christ crucified, come to know him. Let's pray. Lord, may we in our lives resolve like Paul to resolve to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, knowing to be able to say, this is all I know, knowing that he is all the people of this city need. Thank you for your work of salvation that humbles the wisdom of this world. Thank you for removing that threat to the gospel that threat where man's boasting could give him grounds for earning salvation for himself 
Thank you for saving us despite our sin, despite our weakness. And may we open our mouths once more and share this glorious gospel with others. And let us not be afraid. Let us boast only in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.